0: You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, at at one level, this gets us or it asks us to think about our language. It's probably the thing we immediately think about whenever we hear this commandment or see this commandment. And the whole issue of bad language and swearing, and specifically the, the idea of taking the Lord's name, In vain, the King James Version, which many of you will be familiar with, captures this commandment like this, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And so for many people, for example, the recent addition in popular speech of the letters OMG is a blatant and a disturbing breach of this commandment. OMG stands for Oh My God, or Oh My Goodness, or Oh My Gosh. And earlier this year, those three letters became instantly recognisable whenever Usher, featuring Will I Am, reached number one in the UK and the US charts with the single O-M-G. And now they've become part of SMS language or text speak. And the flippant use of God's name or Jesus or Christ as an expression of surprise does definitely come under the radar of this commandment there's no doubt about that and we will think about that a little later on but what this law of love that has been written in stone actually urges us to do is to take a step back and to consider the importance and the significance and the weight if you like of God's name whenever Jesus taught his disciples to pray and taught us to pray and we looked at this a year ago when he gave us what we've come to call the Lord's Prayer, the very first petition of that prayer, after we have addressed God as our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The New Living Translation, may your name be kept holy. And here, according to Jesus, is the starting point, not only of this prayer, but possibly, some would say, the starting point of all prayer. A deep recognition of who it is we're approaching. Who it is we come before. Who it is we have this privilege of communicating with. And they with us. So hallowed be your name. Or do not misuse the name. Now whenever we come to talk about names, there is is a tendency to think that names maybe don't mean as much now as they used to. So some would say, as we saw earlier, that you can call your kid anything. For example, Buddy Bear. The meaning is now irrelevant. And the reason or the story behind the name of your son or your daughter is actually immaterial. I don't know how many of you discovered uh, each other, what the meaning of each other's names. Joella came up to me uh, earlier, and, or just during coffee there, and said, I didn't know what my name meant, but my dad looked it up on the iPhone, and it means, and you see the modern technology, <laughs> God who is willing. So Joella discovered tonight the meaning of her name, God who is willing. But in a previous era, and you know this, and particularly in a biblical context, names were carefully selected, very carefully selected and there was often a definite reason and detailed story behind a particular name just give you one example Hannah is described in the the bible as a barren woman who prayed to God for a child and whenever God gave her a baby boy she named the baby boy Samuel which means God heard me God has heard me and that's why I want to call my boy Samuel now we do live in a different environment and times have changed but I still think That names are important, that they are influential, they are thought-provoking. Whenever someone forgets your name, or when someone gets your name wrong, it really matters, doesn't it? Last, you're disappointed actually, last last Sunday morning after the service, someone, a mum, not going to say who, walked to church from creche, I'd gone down to the door, and I said, hello Emma. And then I realised as she walked away, that wasn't her name. But she was really gracious. She didn't correct me. But I felt rubbish. And I went after her and I realised what her name was and I apologised to her. But there's no doubt about it, when you forget someone's name or get their name wrong, it has an impact. So names are important. Secondly, names are influential. They carry or they can carry a certain amount of clout. So for example, whenever a celebrity now puts their name to a product or allows their name to go alongside a razor, or a shampoo, or a coffee machine. The reason that they do is the hope that the the manufacturer, the maker has, that it's going to have an impact on how that product is perceived. Sales are going to go through the roof because George Clooney endorses, is it, Nespresso, which David McMillan has one of. He's been bought into it. Uh, (laughs) And another example of names having influence in our culture is via clothing labels. Because if what you wear has a particular name, now I was going to give some examples, but I realised that would be so dangerous to do, so I'm not going to do that. But if you have a particular piece of clothing with a particular name on it, then how you, perc- how you are perceived or how you perceive yourself changes. Names are influential. That's why some of us like to name drop. Because whenever you mention a name, it gives you something. Finally, names make you think. Whenever you hear a name, you make connections. You get a picture in your mind. You associate certain things with that name. So, for example, whenever I say Iris Robinson or Tiger Woods or Wayne Rooney, you along with everyone else in this church will begin, simply because I have mentioned a name, you will begin to think something about those people. Something about their character, their reputation, their background, their role, their family. Something comes flooding to mind. Just at the mention of a name. And so although, so although we live in a 21st century world where some would say names and naming have actually lost their edge and significance, I still think names are important. I still think names are highly influential and thought-provoking, but none more so. There is no name more important, more influential, or more thought-provoking than God's name. And what we actually associate and connect and put alongside that name whenever we hear it is actually defining. It can define us who we are. And one of the key reasons why God's name is so important is because his name is a revelation of his very person and character. God reveals himself. One of the primary ways God has revealed himself to us is through his name. We discover who God is. We discover what God is like via his name. And there are many names often for God in scripture and someone has described those names and we saw some of them earlier in the PowerPoint presentation. Someone's described those as mini portraits that actually help us to gain a better, clearer, more colourful, more dynamic picture of exactly who God is and what God is like. But let me just go back to the commandment itself for a minute. Because for most of us, and, and many of us probably do use the NIV for example, this is the way it's phrased. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. But one of the things you will notice here is that the word Lord in many of our translations, is in capital letters. Who wants to tell me why that is? Or who wants to tell me, whenever they see Lord in capital letters, what that refers to? Yahweh, exactly. Thank you, Richard. The Hebrew name which we're all familiar with. And in order to get our heads around that particular name, we need to look a little bit deeper at its meaning and background so we need to rewind 17 chapters from Exodus chapter 20 which is where we get the Ten Commandments and we need to go to that well-known encounter between God and Moses in an isolated part of the desert where God spoke and he commissions Moses to go to Pharaoh and to speak up on behalf of the Israelites who are being held as slaves in Egypt but Moses has a question it's a fair question it's a totally understandable question he says what if the Israelites what if the Israelites actually ask me who has sent me? How should I reply to them? And the answer that God gave was not only powerful, it was mysterious. I am who I am. That is who you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then God continues in this dialogue with Moses And I'm quoting from Exodus 3.15. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, and again in capitals, meaning Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So what does this powerful, this mysterious name actually mean? And Yahweh, which comes from this. I am who I am well it 's not easy to give a succinct or a simple definition, but I am is believed to be God's way of saying that he's eternally existent he's totally self-reliant he's the living God who exists in the past, the present, the future. This name identified God as the one who was, who is, and who is to come he's distinct. From anyone or anything else. Unlike anyone, anything else. Independent of everything else that exists in all creation. He's uncontainable, unchangeable, powerful, trustworthy. And this name therefore meant, whenever people were told this name, this name meant so much to so many people. Because what they were discovering was that here is a God who has revealed himself to us as this eternal one. Self-reliant one. He's chosen to reveal himself to us in a name. And so people treated that name with huge respect and deep awe. And therefore in the ancient world, God's name was highly revered to such an extent that people would literally avoid using the name not only in speech but also in prayer because they were so afraid to misuse the name. And I'm sure you've heard this before but... People were not even permitted to write the name of God in ink unless they were one of the scribes who were constantly recopying the scriptures. And even then, when a scribe came to that word, he would apparently rise and he would bathe himself. And then he'd put on clothes that he had never worn before. He would go and get a quill that had never been used before. And only then would he write God's name. And after he had finished writing God's name, he would discard that quill and never use it again. And he would throw away the clothes that he was wearing as he wrote the name and never wear them again. And the point was this, God's name deserved respect. Because if you misuse the name, you were seen to be effectively just trampling all over God. To misuse God's name was to undermine his character. God has revealed himself via his name. If you misuse that, you're just misusing who God is. But although God is distinctly different, and although his name does reveal his uniqueness, the fact that God revealed himself by name proves that God doesn't want to be distant. And this is where where sometimes we struggle. God doesn't want to be distant. God doesn't want to be remote. God doesn't want to be removed. God actually has revealed his name so that we can and so that he can relate. And this quote from the, the New English Dictionary puts it like this, that giving the name entails a certain kind of relationship. The minute a name is given, something changes. It opens the possibility of a certain intimacy in relationship. A relationship without a name inevitably means some distance. Naming the name is necessary for closeness. Naming makes true communication and encounter possible. By giving the name, God becomes accessible. And the bottom line is that God has given us his name and gave the people his name so that they might know him personally. And as we enter into the New Testament, where in one sense the name Yahweh is seen to disappear or is believed to disappear, God takes another amazing step in closeness. God actually personalizes the name further: Emmanuel. God with us. And his name? Jesus. And that's the name that takes center stage. And in Matthew 1 we're told that she, that's Mary, will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from his sins. And the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. And again, it's a name that we discover deserves respect. The reason it deserves respect is because it has had this name, Demons Flee. They scream, they rip themselves from their hosts at the very mention of his name. Salvation, it says, is found in this name. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. It's not just a name that brings salvation, it's a name that offers eternal life. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life wherein his name and finally for now there's that classic statement Philippians 2 where Paul declares that this name is above every name and that it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord the name matters and to misuse the name matters because again it reveals this is who I am Jesus, I'm a God who saves. I'm Emmanuel, I'm God who came in the flesh. A God who became one of you. And therefore, throughout the rest of the New Testament, you discover many more names and titles for Jesus. Why? So that we can understand more about who Jesus is, because his name reveals more about who he is. came across this during the week, I love this. Jesus is the bread of life so that bakers can understand He's the water of life so that plumbers can understand. He's the light of the world so that electricians can understand. He's the cornerstone so that architects can understand. He's the son of righteousness so that astronomers can understand. He's the hidden treasure so that bankers can understand. He's the life so that biologists can understand. The door, so that carpenters can understand, the great physician, so that doctors and nurses can understand, the teacher, so that educators can understand, the lily of the valley, so that florists can understand. He's the rock of ages so geologists can understand. He's the true vine, so that horticulturalists can understand. Understand. He's the righteous one so judges can understand. He's the pearl of great price so the jewellers can understand. He's the word so that actors can understand. The shepherd so that farmers can understand. The Alpha and the Omega so that scientists can understand. The way so that traffic wardens can understand. And he is the truth so that politicians can understand. <laughs> and you see, what I've done so far is just hopefully trade to provide just some background. And some understanding of the importance of God's name, Yahweh, Jesus. A name that reveals who God is, that reveals to us what God is like. But what I want to do, just to sort of finish off this evening, is is suggest some ways, four in particular, four examples of how this name can be misused. And the first is going back to this whole idea of swearing. And apparently if if you looked up, and some again may know this, but apparently if you looked up Jesus in the concise Oxford Dictionary which was published in 1995, here's what you would discover. Jesus, a colloquial interjection, an exclamation of dismay or surprise, and then in brackets, name of founder of Christian religion. So in other words, Jesus is to be understood first as a common expletive. And only then as the founder of Christianity. Interestingly and thankfully later editions of that particular dictionary have switched them around. But it is sad whenever God's name or the name of Jesus is used so casually and flippantly and irreverently. And maybe that's where for some of us a single like OMG or seeing OMG in a text. That's where it falls in. But for people who wouldn't describe themselves as Christians... Or for those who don't claim to be in relationship with God. Surely we can't expect them to honour the name. Or demand that they do. Because what does the commandment read? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. Misuse the name of the Lord, your God. And therefore do we have the right to challenge not yet Christians? when they do misuse the name I must admit I do find it hard to hear the name of God or Jesus and for me particularly I find the one that greats, whenever I hear the name Christ used so that, that's the one grates in me in particular but I hope I never reach a place of where I judge a person because they choose to use it rather I hope that I model an alternative way of speaking that actually reflects a respect and a reverence for the name rather than criticizes someone for the way they speak. Now, for some people, they would take a very different view on that and they would say, listen, whenever I hear someone taking the Lord's name in vain, I immediately will challenge them. The question is, do we have the right to do that? Second way to breach this third commandment is by using the name to justify certain or highly questionable decisions and behavior. Now, I know we have got to be careful with this. But in terms of history, the crusades some would say in the Middle Ages are a prime example whenever Christians took up the flag of the cross and they marched as an army to conquer cities in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, and they left thousands of bodies in their wake. Or what about the way God's name was used by some to justify apartheid in South Africa or closer to home terms like for God and Ulster? Is that a blatant misuse of God's name? Shortly after the fall of Atlanta during the American Civil War, a lady exclaimed to President Lincoln at a White House function, Oh, Mr. President, I feel sure that God is on our side, don't you? Ma'am replied Lincoln solemnly, I am more concerned that we should be on God's side. So, you know, using the name of God or the name of Jesus to validate racism, bigotry, hatred, or any for- other form of sinful behavior is an incredibly dangerous thing, even on a personal level. I can remember someone saying this to me a man who left his wife, to pursue an affair with the line, God has brought this person into my life and I'm just following his lead. To use God's name to oppress, to intimidate, to hurt, to exploit others is surely a breach of this commandment. There are other ways to misuse God's name. False teaching. Teaching things in God's name which are contrary to the Bible. And you could spend a while looking at that. But the final one that I want to look at is this: an inconsistent life. You so know, whenever Jesus went home to be with his father, it was not long before Christians or followers became known by that name—the name Christian, little Christ—and that seemed appropriate because people could see that Jesus was actually central to these believers in what they said and what they did and many of us here bear the name of god's son and this for me is where this commandment becomes very very personal but many of us here bear the name of god's son and so we as christians must pay close attention to the way we live our lives the words that we speak whenever we walk out of here and into a new week they really do matter the choices we make, the things we do, the attitudes we hold. There needs to be this growing consistency, this increasing christ The credibility gap between what we say, and we've talked about this before, but the credibility gap between what we say and how we behave needs to be narrow or narrowing. Otherwise, we risk the danger of dishonoring the Lord's name. Paul Referring to some false believers said, you know, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny them. We need to mind the gap between what we say and how we behave. Billy Graham once said, we take the name of God in vain when we accept it and allow ourselves to be called Christians but do not live godly lives. And as I understand it, if you go back to the specific commandment To misuse God's name is to take the name in an empty manner. This is what it it meant. To take the name in an empty manner. In fact, this command literally reads in the Hebrew, you shall not take the name of Yahweh in an empty way. And to take means to lift up or to carry. And therefore, the emphasis on this commandment is not so much about saying the name, it's about carrying the name. And as Christians, we carry the name. And therefore, as we leave this place and enter a new week and a new month, my hope and prayer for me and for us is that we will recommit ourselves to living consistent lives which actually honour the name that we carry. Because people will watch and people will listen and they will determine whether we live lives that do honour the one we claim to follow. And as Paul wrote, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. Do it all in the name of Jesus. We're going to close with a song that's, that's really a song and a prayer. Restore, O Lord, the honor of your name. and works of sovereign power come shake the earth again. In the second verse Restore, O Lord, in all the earth your fame, and in our time revive the church that bears your name. So I invite you to stand and not just to sing this, but to pray this and then after that I'm going to read you part of a prayer that some of you will be familiar with as we close. So let's stand together and sing. Please take a seat as we just listen to this prayer. I'm just going to read part of it. Uh, as I say, some of you will be familiar with it, but just a moment's silence. Just reflect on our desire that God's name and His honour would be restored. Do you know him? He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the grandest idea in literature. He's the fundamental doctrine of proved theology. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's strong God and he guides. He heals, he cleanses, he forgives. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives, he defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the aged, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. He's the wellspring of wisdom, he's the doorway of deliverance, he's the pathway of peace, he's the roadway of righteousness, he's the gateway of glory, he's the master of the mighty, he's the captain of the conquerors, he's the head of the heroes, he's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of peace. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. That's my king. Do you know him? He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. That's... My King. And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and forever and forever. And how long is that? Forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the evers, then, Amen. Do you know Him? Father, as we close this service, thank you for the opportunity that we have had to just reflect on your name thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the name. Thank you for Jesus, God, with us. And as we approach Christmas again, God, and we begin to think of Advent and all that that means and all that that forces us to think about, God, I pray that we would know you with us again at this time of year. God, I pray that you would restore the honor of your name. God, I pray for the church that bears your name that you would help us to be people who live consistent lives. God, may people look at our lives, watch how we live, listen to how we speak, see the attitudes we hold and discover that there is something different about us because we have submitted to that name. We have found salvation in that name. We have found eternal life in that name. We recognize that this is the name that is above all other names. So God, I commit each of us to you this week. I do want to pray particularly for Trevor and Maggie and Nathan who are here with us this evening. God, I pray your blessing on Trevor's ministry and leadership at Newton of Baptist that starts tomorrow. Pray, God, that he would have a real sense and awareness of your presence as he begins this new adventure in his life. I pray your blessing on them as a family and your blessing on that local church. So God, go with us. And thank you for the promise of your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.